Today we are privileged to have the second half of Warner Woodworth, our guest, who is an internationally renowned developer of the world. He has created more non-government organizations than anyone I know. Warner, say hi to the audience for part two. Hi and hello and bon dia, buenos dias, and a few other languages. He could go into so many other languages. He and I share that we speak Spanish and Portuguese. He beats me. on. I mean, he's been in the Philippines. He's been in Africa. He has been a visiting professor. He, he was an MBA professor at Marriott School of Brigham Young University for decades. He has been a visiting professor at the University of Utah, visiting professor at schools on almost every continent. He has written 12 books has done 360 articles. Many of his articles he is giving away free on his website, warnerwoodworth.com. That's W-A-R-N-E-R-W-O-O-D-W-O-R-T-H.com. Warnerwoodworth.com. He's also in our first part. He shared so many resources that you can go to if you want to build your NGO. Today, in part two, we're going to focus on action you can take, limitations that will hold you back, and groups that you can become part of to synergize purposefully. So with that, I encourage everyone, please listen to part one. Listen to part one multiple times. Listen to part two multiple times. We're going to get right into it. So once again, Warner, what action would you suggest will move an NGO forward? In part one, you told us start small, keep moving, focus on your audience, expand. Once you've got it going, what can you do to move it forward? Well, I think you need to have a sense of flexibility because what you start doing isn't what you're going to end up doing. You start with the first steps. You find your passion. You get some associates, friends, family to help launch, and you develop a vision and some objectives, some goals for yourself. Then as you start moving it forward, you're going to increase your learning, and then you need to refine what you've got set up. If, if you haven't yet done that, you need to register. My advice is you register with the government of whatever country you're in so that you're legitimate and they can't just go shut you down and they won't just assume you're trying to rip people off or make about a bunch of money and take it home, etc. As a registered charity, you gain credibility. Another important thing in the early phases of launching and rolling out your strategy, your new NGO strategy, I always suggest you be on the board or you learn from other organizations in your community where they've already done things. They've already made mistakes. They've already messed up some decisions. And, you know, I think it's so important to learn not just how to do it, but what not to do because so many fail. I think the percentage rate of NGOs is roughly 60 to 65 percent, which is about the same level of failure in American businesses. 
And the reason for both kinds of organizational failures is they stop learning. They think they have the solution. And and so I think it's important to continually evolve, do local research, join networks, try an action plan, and if if you have some problems with it, tweak it and make it better. Uh, raising money is tremendously complicated, and since the COVID pandemic uh, of coronavirus, lots of NGOs have gone out of business and lots of companies, for-profits also, because they they tried to keep everything the same when the economy suffered a downturn. So you have to constantly be tweaking your budget and developing new fundraising strategies. And as you roll them out, I think uh, most people I know, they they can discover new solutions by collaborating with others, sharing your mistakes, doing your work humbly so that so that you don't express arrogance or pride in being so confident that you know everything what to do. Yes, I'm going to interrupt you because I want to summarize and highlight what you said and listeners re-listen to what he said. First, be flexible. Recognize that you're going to make mistakes. You're going to see challenges that are new challenges. You've got to be able to be flexible. Second, he said, and this is so important, learn from others. Learn from people who have gone before you what they did that worked and what they did that created challenges and how they overcame the challenges. I love your suggestion of volunteer to be on a board of another non-government organization or another charitable organization in your community. That way you can see and you can learn without paying a huge cost for it. So many people will plow money into their NGO at the beginning, fixed on one thing they're going to do, and they never learn to be flexible or learn from others, and they waste so much money, don't they, Warren? Yep. Also, if you're going to formalize, I tell people, don't start an NGO. Start a project and roll it out and then learn from it as you take steps. But as you begin to move toward a formality and you pick a name and you draft articles of incorporation, you probably need an attorney or the ability to retain some legal expertise so that when you register and as you file reports and deal with tax issues and secure a license to operate down the road, you don't have to restructure everything because you made poor decisions at the start. So do things with your, you know, your eyes wide open. And if, if you don't know or have the accounting expertise that is going to be necessary to run a microenterprise or run a nonprofit of some sort doing charitable work, you you got to get somebody who will volunteer if you can't pay them to help you with the numbers and crunching uh, through the accounting system and doing so in a very transparent way. And then, of course, one of the big challenges that I didn't really get into is that of fundraising and how and where you can generate 
financial resources. And I would say to most people, you need a marketing plan to do that. Start small, start simple. Get a website so that if you build it, they will come is a secondary important notion. And uh, in doing those kind of things, I think you can get off to a fairly decent start. Excellent advice. Um, you you segued into our next question and, and covered it. I was going to say, obviously, fundraising and being able to fund your NGO is important. Share with us some of the other typical limitations people will encounter as they either begin growing their NGO and, and how they can overcome them. What are two or three of the typical limitations. You mentioned fundraising. Could I just say on fundraising, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead the question here, but so many NGOs fail to attract donors because overhead and salaries make up such a huge portion of their organization. Would you talk a little bit about that concept of administrative costs versus delivery costs and how donors look at that for fundraising? Sure. I've seen over the years that that many friends of mine who've donated to various NGOs, not just mine, but lots of others, when in the U.S., and I'm I'm sure that that's, I know that's true in lots of European and Asian, some Asian countries. Uh, you, you, if you're a registered NGO, you file an annual report with the government, and that protects you and gives you security. It also informs when you post your annual report online for your own donors and future donors and perhaps people that you want to hire down the road when they can see what their money goes to, that is a huge benefit or problem. It's it's a problem if half your money goes to your staff and your office or vehicles or travel or whatever. So I suggest to my friends that they start extremely small and simply and make it a project first and get some experience and get some credibility and make some mistakes and learn from those mistakes and tweak it and change it and improve it. And then after you've had a year or two of doing that and you've surveyed the surrounding environment, you've got an analysis of the problems in that community or that country or whatever, you can then make better decisions for a longer future that will be viable, that will be reliable, that will be sustainable. Starting a project and then failing is costly. It impacts your credibility to start and do something different. So if you do it quietly among a few associates or friends or family members and and begin it and and then begin to see things succeeding and and impacts that you can document. And I, I should just emphasize, as you do this stuff, you've got to keep track of clients, projects, how much money went to it, what the results were, whether it's healthcare or women's empowerment or literacy or microfinance or whatever else. 
but step by step moving forward, then you can eventually register as a legitimate NGO, a formal nonprofit, a formal charity in your state or your province or your country. And that that becomes uh, a way to ensure success rather than optimistically and naively jumping in with a lot of fanfare and then failing miserably. Because I've seen some of my colleagues do that and they really, <laughs> they never recovered, Larry. They they just, they lost all their credibility and and never could start something again or rescue or reinvent what they had. So That's so small, true. I've... quiet, humble, be humble in your startups. Such outstanding advice. Um, Kiswa, Mindy, the others, I hope you're listening to this. You start small. You be quiet. You, you build it up. And I just want to say and emphasize what he said. Document everything you do. Document your projects. Document your donations. Document where the funding goes. Keep good records. And then create that annual report, even if your country doesn't require one. The annual report of what you have done can become your best fundraising tool because it inspires people to want to give and share with your vision. Right, Warner? Yep, exactly. I think there's something like 2 million NGOs in the world. (laughs) Some of them are the the big boys, and they've got millions and millions of dollars from government and corporate sources. But the ones I hope we can invent and grow throughout the planet are small, innovative uh, startups where new initiatives are taken and risks can be made, which, which the big boys, I call them the big boys all the time because they're so bureaucratic and they can't do anything without a thousand dollars, you know. And 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 I say to myself and my NGOs when I do training in different countries, let's stay away from those guys. They can do their thing on the macro level with their projects coming down. Let's start ours from the grassroots with our communities and our friends growing upwards, and and putting our roots into the ground of long-term sustainability. And that philosophy, my friends, has been a bedrock for the success and the multiple organizations he has started. So this is great advice. Um, I'm going to share on your behalf, Warner. People go to his website. It's warnerwoodworth.com. That's W-A-R-N-E-R. W-O-O-D-W-O-R-T-H dot com. Go to the various segments. I was looking at, he's got one, uh, a segment just on podcasts and videos, and you can watch him doing training. You can watch these videos where he's teaching others, all of, well, not all, because there isn't that much bandwidth to cover everything and everyone he's taught. <laughs> 
but he's got these podcasts and videos. He, he invites you to be collaborative on his contact page. So go to his contact page and fill out the form there and, and facilitate that collaboration that he has talked about. Warner, we're close to ending. What last piece of advice or comment do you have for everyone? Well, I'm thinking of what just happened the last several days in Syria and Turkey Amen. with the devastating Amen. earthquakes that have killed so far. They've been able to determine 11,000 people and left millions without their homes, without their huts, without their humble dwellings, struggling for food and it's cold it's winter and i just to quote my friend chairman mao let a thousand flowers bloom let's create new and innovative programs and ngo strategies that can help the folks in these two disastrous situations i've worked for 10 years in haiti after the earthquake basically destroyed that country and in Thailand, after the uh, <clears throat> earthquake and tsunami wrecked villages along the coast of 11 countries in the Indian Ocean, and uh, in, also in the mountains of the Himalayas and Nepal after that huge earthquake there. And I've seen how average people like some of you folks, like me, like Larry, we don't need to wait for God to solve the problems or the government to fix the problems. We can do things ourselves and take initiative and have hope and be willing to labor to improve the world. I never forgotten the words of Anne Frank, who was hiding from the Nazis in the Netherlands. And she said something to the effect that it's never too late for a single person to make a difference. And I think that's my final message to your listeners, Larry. Thank you for this opportunity to visit and share a few experiences and ideas. Well, thank you, Werner. It's a privilege and an honor to have you and a joy to reconnect. Audience, I hope this has been helpful. I know it has what you need to let your dream of giving more come true. Thank you for listening. I'm Larry Stevenson. And what are you going to do this week to let your dreams work? To reach the unreachable star.